Let us read this together. God of victory over death, your son revealed himself again and again and convinced his followers of his glorious resurrection. Grant that we may know his risen presence, in love obediently feed his sheep, and care for the lambs of his flock, until we join the host of heaven in worshiping you and praising him, who is worthy of blessing and honor forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to see you, and uh, I will begin, as we've done on these last four Sundays of Easter, by saying, uh, He is risen. Wow, y'all are good. Uh, And I think you meant it this morning. Maybe it's the uh, beauty of the day uh, or the beginning of a new week, uh, but that feeling of being alive and knowing of the resurrection. Well, I was painfully yesterday of the truth of John Steinbeck's words, and I think you'll see them here on the screen. It has always been my private conviction that any man who pits his intelligence against a fish and loses has it coming. Yes, Bill knows that full well, too. Well, this came to me while Jack and I fished um, yesterday in a a tournament on Toledo Bend, and it was a high school uh, bass fishing tournament. And I thought about that quote over and over again. By the way, there's one in your bulletin that is uh, there in a box, a quote about fishing. And I couldn't lead with that one today. I thought about it. Uh, But that one is much more positive. If you're catching fish, that's a good quote for you. Uh, I guess it's also good for those who aren't. But it was a tough day on the water for humans. The, uh, The fish did just fine. They're still there. Uh, But that is the kind of fishing day that the disciples were having, as described in John's gospel this morning. In fact, if you have, or I I know you have one, there's one right in front of you on the pew rack, uh, a Bible. If you'll look in John chapter 21, in the first 19 verses, you see this incredible account that uh, Tina just read to us. It is an account of what took place as Jesus was going and appearing to people all over the place. And he certainly was uh, going and speaking to his uh, disciples. And we looked at this last week, how Jesus appeared in the room. They had gone far away, hidden in a room somewhere, uh, put a latch on the door, and were trying to keep out all of the officials and authorities that they suspected were coming to arrest them as well. And Jesus comes through the wall. And you remember what he said? Peace. Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. And then later, Thomas, he wasn't there. So Thomas uh, says, you know, I'm not going to believe you disciples. I don't believe that you saw him. Or at least I don't believe that was him. Until I see his scars until I put my hands in his side, then maybe I'll believe. And of course, Jesus does this. He goes and appears to Thomas, and this takes place. So Jesus is appearing to the disciples, and he is revealing the reality of his resurrection. And these guys 
were fishermen. These that were out there on the water, at least most of them were fishermen, had done this uh, since they were children. I'm sure they'd been out on this sea of, of Tiberias. They had been out fishing before, and there were memories that they had of being out there on the water fishing. And surely they knew right where the fish were biting. Um, they just had probably discussed the best place to throw their nets on this day. And as you know, they were uh, telling stories, as guys will do as they get out on the lake, and they tell about fishing in this spot before. You know, you remember that time when we were out here and this and this happened, or uh, all kinds of stories and the usual lore and the myth. Well, there's always a good myth that goes with any fishing trip. And this is what was happening. I mean, that's not what John says, but you just know that this is what was taking place as these guys went out to get on the water. They must have been somewhat rusty with their fishing skills, not having fished at all since the day that they dropped their nets and began to follow Jesus. And if you'll recall, that's how that took place. Jesus went to them as they were fishing. And, of course, there was a preface to this. I'm sure they had heard him teach. They had become familiar with him as he had come through their towns and had interacted with them or interacted with people they knew. And they were at that point where they were ready to follow the teaching of Jesus. And so Jesus said, come on and follow. And the gospel writers tell us they dropped their nets right there, right, right then, and began to follow after Jesus. So all of this following had been going on for several years, and they had not picked up their nets like they used to. Even still, fishing is what they knew best. And so they returned to it when Jesus died. I mean, this is what they went back to. And maybe you can identify with that. When things go wrong, maybe you go fishing. Maybe it's going back to gardening or going back to doing something that enables you to feel like yourself. And so that's what the disciples did, or at least these disciples. And as with any fishing trip, someone would have to make a supply run. They would have to find those nets that they dropped. They would have to locate a boat. They would have to get snacks. I mean, you can't go fishing without snacks, right? They'd have to check the weather report, which I guess amounted to looking up and, you know, thinking, okay, it's cloudy, uh, it's going to be a, a good day for us fishing out here, and all the other things that go with a day on the lake. These were things that they were doing, and this was so different from the kinds of trips that they took with Jesus. Totally different. I mean, they were used to being out on the water. They were used to hearing the water uh, lap up against the side of the boat and, and so used to seeing uh, all kinds of wonderful things out on the water. But they, for the last several years, had been on the land. They had been walking. They had been going to places they had not been to before. They had been traveling.
even though they were so ready to things turned to disappointment. And it's that feeling that anyone who fishes knows all too well. The lake is full of fish, and yet none of them are in your boat. You've done nothing to be able to catch any of those fish other than to continue to cast your net or to throw your line, and the disappointment continues. The hope that goes with every cast begins to lessen as the day goes along. And discouragement sets in. The cheerful birds that greeted you at dawn now seem to be mocking you. Have you ever had that experience? I think it gives new meaning to angry birds. It's like they are laughing at you with their chatter. The disciples must have felt like failures as they were out there fishing with this disappointment added to the long list of others that they had experienced since Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Remember that week before, that Sunday before Easter when we celebrated Palm Sunday? We celebrated with the disciples and the crowds of long ago who rallied and they cheered for Jesus as he was going into Jerusalem. Things were about to change. Their hope for a better day was about to be realized as Jesus was getting ready to do something. And yet, it didn't happen in the way that they thought. The palm branches really didn't seem to mean much to them anymore as they saw what happened to Jesus. I mean, this had been the worst week of their lives. They were grief-stricken. They were in shock, I'm sure. They were confused. They were discouraged. And they were truly adrift. Fishing wouldn't fix all of what had happened, but it sure would help. The disappointment wasn't just about fishing, though. It was about everything else that had gone wrong in their lives. And Peter certainly knew that. Have you ever felt like the disciples? Do you know what it is like to have the precious things of your life crumble right in front of your eyes as as everything just begins to disintegrate. It seems like it doesn't take much to stir our fragility in life. It could be one little health problem. It could be one bill. It could be a very wrong decision that is made in our lives or that somebody else makes that affects our lives. We were talking earlier about Will Smith, who uh, was killed last night. The uh, New Orleans Saints player had been involved in a wreck, and uh, some altercation took place between him and the guy that was in front of him, and the guy shot him, killed him, shot his wife two times. One little thing can change your life. And we see these things that happen in our lives or in the lives of other people. And it reminds us of the disappointments of life. Do you know how it feels to have the flame of your hope snuffed out suddenly and leave you in the dark about your future? Surely you must. I mean, if you're human, 
you know how brutal life can be. How quickly things can change and leave you just like those disciples, unable to make anything go right. It's one of those times when you just feel like you need to go back to bed. Like tomorrow morning will probably feel, right? Monday morning, you just think, I just wish I could go back to bed and start all over again. On days like these, we even wonder if we should keep on casting our nets. Reasoning with Einstein, that, and you do reason with Einstein, right? All of you do? That it is insane to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And what? Expecting different results. That, he says, is the definition of insanity. And those disciples probably felt rather insane as they kept casting their net and casting their net on the same side of the boat and nothing was happening. And yet they expected things to change. Yes, I'm pretty sure we all know what it is like to have a bad fishing day. Something happened, though, to change how the disciples were feeling about their crappy day. Yes, there was a pun there. Uh, You know, fish, crappie, okay. Uh, Thank you, thank you. I think it must have come right as the disciples were about to devour each other right out there in the boat. Days like theirs are enough to make the best of fishing friends turn on one another with blame and with irritation. Maybe they were saying, well, I told you we were supposed to fish over on this side of the boat. Or we were supposed to do something completely different. We were going to go to a completely different part of the lake to fish. And so... You can just imagine the kinds of things going back and forth and the insult that was added to all of the injury. It is then that they hear someone just a little bit off in the distance, standing on the shore, telling them something. They can't understand all of what it is at first. And so they say to each other, what? What did he say? What's that guy saying over there? And by the way, who is that guy? Who does he think he is standing over there on the land telling us who know all about the water and fishing how to fish? I thought about this yesterday. There was a guy who came up close to us, uh, lots of people out on the lake and fishing. And this guy says uh, the most hated question anybody can ever ask of someone else on the lake. Do you catch anything? (laughs) Does it look like we're catching anything? Do our faces just show that we're catching anything? I mean, do you see anything going on? You don't want to hear that. And that's kind of how they must have been feeling with this guy telling them how to fish from the shore. I mean, this is unsolicited advice about trying the other side of the boat with their net. Like, oh yeah, we hadn't thought of that. Either out of desperation or just to prove the guy wrong, they decided to do it. They threw their net on the other side of the boat and suddenly caught more fish than they could handle right there in the boat. 153. And if you're interested in doing Bible study or a study of church history, look up origin because he has all kinds of 
uh, mysterious things that are included in this number of 153. So do that. That's your homework. Come back and tell me what you found next week. But don't Google it right now. As soon as Peter saw the net full of these 153 fish, he recognized that only Jesus would say and do something like that. It's like, wait a minute. Things like this used to happen when we were with Jesus. And so one of them shouts, and we get the idea it's John, shouts, it is the Lord. It is the Lord causing Peter to leap up and to put his clothes on. Wait, was Jesus, I mean, was Peter really fishing naked? Now, that's a whole different story. But he dives into the water to swim to Jesus. Jesus was right. Right about it all. Right in their midst. Everything changed when Jesus showed up. Isn't that a great truth for us to consider here this morning? Everything about our day changes when we hear from Jesus and when we see him standing right there in our midst, even when we are at our worst. Think about it. Jesus is over there cooking breakfast for the disciples. And as he looks out, he sees Peter and he knows that Peter has denied him three times. Peter got him in trouble. And he knows that the other disciples have also doubted him, that they're discouraged, they're at their worst. But he's there. How many of us would be there? How many of us would sink the boat And yet Jesus loves them and reconciles them and says, come over here. I've got some fish on the fire. I want to show you how much I love you. And so this is what took place. Maybe at first it is hard to listen while you're in such despair and discouragement that you could hardly see straight. And if you've been in the depths of grief, you know what that feeling is like. But then you hear a voice It sounds familiar, one that typically goes against the common sense of the day, yet one, when you think about it, never proved wrong before, this voice of Jesus. The resurrected Jesus speaks into the frustrations of our lives, doesn't he? And this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, gives us a better way of doing things than what we think is right. He doesn't laugh at us for doing it our way. You might think he does. Now, I do think Jesus laughs, but he laughs with us, right? He's like, here they go again. They're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. He's doing exactly what he's done before, and he thinks he's going to get different results. When is he ever going to get it? And maybe he jabs Peter and says, Peter, you remember when you were like that? And that's the way Jesus must do at times with us. And yet he doesn't put us down. He doesn't try to ruin us as we sometimes think. He just offers a better way. 
If you want to fish and actually catch fish, then you'll do it this way. If you'll just do it, you'll find incredible things happening. If you'll just make a change that I'm recommending, your life will look differently. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be better. And that will change everything for us when we try it. So, I ask you this morning, are you ready to try Jesus?